everyone, and welcome back to Poldark Podcast. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to the show Poldark and the wonderful novels the show is based on by Winston Graham. Each week, we will be reviewing, discussing, and sharing our in-depth analysis on the latest episode, which aired on BBC. And this week, we will be discussing episode 8 of season 2. So again, if you haven't watched the episode yet, beware, because there is going to be some major spoilers in this podcast. And also, um, this week, we'll be doing two podcasts. So yes, that's how much we have to talk about. So right now, you're listening to part one. And the second part will be released later this week. So remember to check for part two. My name is Delinda. I live in France. I blog at British Lisa on Tumblr. I tweet at Delinda Dia. And also, I am not fully recovered from this episode. I am in a more rational state to be able to discuss it, but I'm still not okay. My name is Michelle. Uh, I am in the United States. Uh, I blog at Poldark Muses. That's Poldark, M-M-M-U-S-E-S. Uh, I tweet at Musings, M-M-M-U-S-I-N-G-S. And I would have to say my emotional state is about where uh, Delanda's is. Uh, I am in a much more rational state, but, you know, given any particular uh, influence, uh, I could go off. Uh, hi, my name is Rita. I live in England. I blog at Princess of Poldark. I tweet at Rita Bite, and I am just like 100% done with Ross Poldark. That's where I'm at. <laughs> Everyone is. <laughs> that's, that's the status quo now. I mean, that's that's baseline right now, is fed up with Ross Poldark. Um, we begin with this episode, um, Demelza's hanging washing on the line. She sees Ross has received a letter from Trencom, who has a proposal for him. Judas, Ross, will you never learn? Possibly not. You're about to stand trial for being part of the smuggling run. I can't bear it all over again. So you can tell Trencom, till he offers to stand in court in your place, he can sling his proposals and his guineas and his secret caches off damsel point. George and Carrie are talking about what sentence Ross will get. Carrie's money is on transportation. I wouldn't be so sure. Well, well. Here we are again. Ross is in the courtroom again, and this time he's willing to lie. He insists that he was at St. Ives at the time of the ambush and produces three witnesses. So the case is dismissed. Twice is also called, but he's rather more stubborn and ends up with a £50 fine. Outside the magistrates, we have Ross, Dwight, and Demelza talking. He tells them the wedding is off and that he and Caroline were incompatible while looking miserable as hell. Demelza and Ross are later eating dinner and they discuss Will Grace. He tells her that on Saturday the coal is going to run out and the mine will close. He apologizes to her for selling half of his shares to invest in Grace in the first place. I will never again be guilty of such recklessness. I don't give that about a half hour, but all right, Ross, whatever you say. Captain Henshaw comes in at that moment and is all like, woohoo, we found 10. Ross looks dubious, but he agrees to go down and take a look at the load. Meanwhile, down in Saul, Betty, a character that we're suddenly supposed to care about, is heavily pregnant and suddenly friends with Demelza. How convenient. This turns out to be Betty Karkeek, wife of Ted, the smuggler who did hard labor instead of prison. Is it just me or is Ted's shirt just starting to look a wee bit red around the collar? That's a Star Trek reference if you all aren't aware of that and I'll stop my geekiness. I get it. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, in the mine, Ross tries his best to look unimpressed while looking at a wall of tin. He insists it's come too late to save them. Dwight and Demelza are walking back from Betty's, talking about the ambush. If he hadn't helped Rosina, then he would be married. Rosina's need to have much to answer for. It has saved me from myself, at any rate. Dwight receives a letter from Caroline, telling him she has read his all his letters, but that she didn't find any reason in them to change her mind. She asks him never to write her again, while really sad music plays in the background and I try not to cry. Demelza is at the market, 
Elizabeth out for a ride in a fancy new boo frock and in George's carriage calls her over to thank her for her kindness. In London you my husband? In a manner of speaking. Oh, you're welcome to him. Just so long as you remember where he belong and send him back to me when you're done with him. Mad tension and side eyes in shoes. So this show is cruel. Cruel as hell and provides an adorable domestic tableau of the Poldarks. The Malza mending, Ross inspecting Tin and Jeremy playing in the corner. They discuss the Tin find. Tin fetches less than copper and they're no closer to saving the mine. Demelza has learnt that Ross has sold all his shares in Will Leisure and drops that bombshell like a bomb villain. I said that you must be mistaken, Fisherman, if you had, you'd have told me. Ross says he has been meaning to mention it for some time and tells her that he did it to relieve Elizabeth's debts and that he felt under a burden of obligation to Francis. Lie! Are you angry? That you help Elizabeth? And Jeffrey Charles. And leave Jeremy and me to fend for ourselves. The discussion soon turns to George and how obliging he is being towards Elizabeth. Ross insists that it won't come to anything. And Demelza says, um, yes, Ross, like 17 times. And even Ross knows she isn't buying any of his BS. Uh, meanwhile, Betty Car Creek is having the baby. Yes. Um, and of course, they can't, they can't find White, so Demelza is called for and hands Jeremy to Ross, who holds him for approximately three very cute seconds before returning to form and fobbing him off on Judd, who is drunk and violent. Remember? <laughs> Great life choices there, Ross. Father um, of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Demelza and Prudy uh, hand Betty a bottle of brandy wine for the pain. Um, a casual warning to the audience, no doubt. Ross uh, then goes down the mine again, and everyone is like, hey, look, more tin. Uh, Captain Henshaw is willing to put down another uh, 100 pounds to try to keep the digging going, sure that it will lead to success. Betty has her baby, and the mine is staying open another month. Will the good times never cease? Yes, <laughs> they will. <laughs> Elizabeth's mother has a stroke. She will need constant care and possibly for the rest of her life, but they cannot afford a nurse. And Elizabeth is like, oh shit, I don't want to look after her. She is thankful when George arrives because he frightens off the fake tin prospectors that he arranged to have and then sweeps in all concerned about Elizabeth's mother because remember they're BFFs now. He offers to make all the necessary arrangements for her care and pay for it. And then that turns into a proposal. You must be aware how long I've loved you. Serving you only as I could, paying back Francis's card debts, allowing no thought of retaliation when he persistently insulted me. Since his death, I've served you in any way you would allow and will continue to do so, whether or not I stand to gain by it. And I'm more than grateful. But now I ask you to marry me. I say that I love you. Now, I don't flatter myself that you love me. I think you might like and respect me. I hope in time that liking might become something more. But uh, I cannot bring you breeding, but I can bring a kind of gentility, which is all the more punctilious for being only a generation deep. As for material considerations... George, please! No, no, I know, I know you would never marry for money. If you did, you would not be the person I know you to be. But at the risk of offending, let me be clear about what I can offer. My house is four times the size of Trenwith. I have 20 servants, a park of 500 acres, my own carriage, a phaeton. You could have one too, or three, or four. I'd take you to London or Bath. You'd wear the finest clothes, the rarest jewels, mixed with the best in society. As my adopted son, Geoffrey Charles would be my heir. For so long you have lived in a cage. Will you not allow me to give you the key? Agatha is, of course, eavesdropping and comes in all dramatic, quoting the bloody Bible. It actually reminds me of a scene from Pulp Fiction when Jules quotes the Bible just before unleashing hellfire from his gun. It basically points out as nothing to offer George, having already given her heart to another long ago. Meanwhile, Mary arrives, yay, with her stepson James. Boo. 
It proceeds to be super annoying and make so many Navy references that I kind of resent having to even discuss him. Uh, they are expected at Nampara and asks Elizabeth to join them, but Elizabeth feigns a headache. Hmm, why couldn't she do that later? Um, honestly, uh, her mother just had an effing stroke. What better excuse is there for her not to go to... Oh, right. Okay, la 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 la. I don't want to think about the fact that I have to take care of my mother for the rest of her life because she just had a stroke and I might get my nails messed up. That's a really catchy song. It is. And then we have Dwight who rides into the woods where he used to meet Caroline, sweet Caroline. While even more music plays. Exactly. Sweet Caroline. Then Verity and Demelza talk at Nampara. Naturally, the subject of Elizabeth comes up. She seems a little on edge, as if innerly excited. And I got the impression... Yes? ...that she thinks her circumstances are about to change. Oh? Do you know why that might be? Perhaps you should ask Ross. Sounds a little bitter. Do it. I only meant he sees more of her than I. I know he did love her. So when he goes to see her, I'd... I'd not be human if I didn't wonder what they say to each other or... if they still have feelings. I think they do. They were each other's first love. Such a love cannot easily be put aside. But you have no reason to think. No reason, just... Ross would never mean to hurt me. But I think if it came to a choice between me and Elizabeth, and with Elizabeth now free, you cannot believe that. Oh, sweet, naive little Verity. Only she cannot see Ross cheating with Elizabeth, but the rest of the world can. Ross talks to James about the Navy. Snooze. Dwight turns up and Jane tries to talk to him into joining the Navy. Back to so Melza and Verity. Verity's pregnant! Yay! Yay! Finally. She's it's so night. And then it's night. Melza tosses and turns, worrying that Elizabeth might be engaged to George Wellegan and the downstream implications. The next day, McNeil shows up for tea. Michelle Swoons. Swoon. <laughs> He basically says he didn't post a guard outside Nampara to catch Ross that night after the ambush because he has too much of a regard for Demelza, which is adorable. He asks for gossip while holding a tiny flowery teacup, and I'm basically in love with him. <laughs> he tells Demelza that George has ordered his wedding clothes, and Demelza freaks. He also tells her, so he was holding a ball next week. And everyone who read the books is like, oh, shit. Between jaunts down the mine, Ross chats with Dwight about his wanting to join the Navy. For once, Ross is the smarter of the two men, telling him he wouldn't enlist unless he had to. Honestly, who is this person that we're seeing right now? And what have you done with Ross Poldark? Meanwhile, an overwrought metaphor is happening below them. Yes, one of the tunnels collapses in the mine. Slow motion and sad violins play as faceless extras are carried out of the mine, injured or killed. Somehow, in the span of two minutes, George has heard the news about the collapse and ran straight to tell Elizabeth all about how Ross sucks. Is a desperate man. One can only feel for his wife and child. Innocent casualties of his overwhelming hubris now condemned to a life of penury. Mind drop. Because he ain't wrong. Elizabeth, in a moment of rationality, goes to accept his marriage proposal. Aunt Agatha is like, no, he's the devil. Meanwhile, outside of Wheel Grace, Ted Carkeek is dead. See, I told you, red shirt. The father of that baby we were supposed to care about this week. Aww. So there are five people that are injured in this thing. Uh, two people that are killed. Um, and when Ross is thinking about it, you know, he remembers Francis drowning in the mine. So, you know, he's recounting that three people have died because of this mine. Ross's pride kicks in and he decides everything is his fault and his fault alone. Like the world's geology is his responsibility. It was an ill-conceived venture from the start. It will never open again. I give it about a week. 
Back at Trenwith, Elizabeth writes Ross to tell him she is marrying George. Ross and Demelza arrive home, tired and distraught. Ross receives the letter. I know what I have to say will distress you. And I, who gave you so much pain once before, would do almost anything than to hurt you again and in the same way. Yet it seems I must. Oh, Ross, my life has been very frustrating, and since Francis died, a lonely and an empty one. Perhaps I am the wrong sort of person to be left alone. I seem to need the strength and protection only a man can give. I have agreed to marry George Warleggan. Ross is immediately furious and looks at the camera like he's a goddamn psychopath. Demelza begs him not to go over to Trenwith tonight. He becomes angry at her for not warning him this might happen, and when she refuses to let him go, he yells at her to get out of his way. And she eventually does, knowing that she has lost him. He rides over to Trenwith, knocks on the front door, screaming Elizabeth's name. When no one answers, he kicks down the side door. Elizabeth, who has, in the past flown into a panic at the mere mention of local unrest and tenors invading her land, is up in her room when the door crashes open, calmly brushing her hair as she listens to all of this. Aunt Agatha is shown listening to the commotion from her room. Elizabeth, hearing him coming with her hand on the bolt of the door, opens the door and tells him that she will talk to him downstairs. She walks further into the room to get a candle and walks past two lit candles in the process, BT dubs. He walks in pretty calmly, tells her that there's no one to consider but you and I. That is a motherfucking lie, Ross, and you know it. Anyway, Elizabeth says she has said all that needs to be said in her letter. Ross being Ross, he disagrees. He asks her if he was wrong to consider her a friend, pointing out that barely 12 months ago, she said that she'd made this gigantic mistake in marrying Francis, and that she realised it was Ross that she had always loved. Elizabeth says she felt he needed to know she was the one who made the mistake, not him. That mistake, as you call it, has cost many people dear. Francis? Yourself? Myself? What mistake are you making now? Elizabeth points out all the kindness George has shown her and that she hopes to mend the breach between Ross and George, which is mildly delusional, but I guess a sweet sentiment. Are you marrying him for his money? How dare you? God knows I've made mistakes in my life, Ross. But I've tried to be loyal to the people I care for. And what seems like disloyalty to you now is actually loyalty to my son. Oh snap, she's got you there, Ross. Not everything is about you. So Ross tries to understand this novel concept. And while he's doing that, Elizabeth tries to make a move. What do you suggest for me? 30 years of widowhood and loneliness? Can you offer me anything else? Girl, it ain't his place to offer you shit. Stop making that pouty face at him and step back. Yeah, Elizabeth's officially lost me. You ask me, would I condemn you to 30 years of widowhood? Why would I need to? You could have your pick of 30 men. Oh no, Elizabeth, he has a point. It's almost as if you picked George because he would get right under Ross's skin. Now let's think about that. Well, the fuckery really starts. Because she asks Ross to leave, insists that she will not be instructed, and that she cannot help it. Oh, you've never been able to help anything, have you? It's all beyond your control, full of good intentions, leaving a trail of havoc in your wake. Pot meat kettle. Oh, perhaps you can't help this either. Ugh, gross, he's kissing her. I oppose this marriage, Elizabeth. I'd be glad of your assurance you will not go through with it. We both know you don't love him. I love him to distraction and will marry him next month. Hi, more kissing. Hateful, horrible, I detest you. No, you don't. You never have and you never will. 
You would not dare. Oh. You would not dare. I would, Elizabeth. He shoves her onto the bed and they proceed to have sex. And that's how I'm describing that because nothing about Elizabeth's body language says otherwise. She's seen grabbing onto his face and pulling him closer and wrapping her legs around his waist and generally having a good old time with it. So Adnan Para, the mouse lies pacing the floor holding a crying Jeremy, waiting for her piece of shit of a husband to come back. Below stairs, Judd and Pretty wait up too. You know you're an ass when even Judd Painter can judge your lion ass. The next morning, Demelza wakes lying next to Jeremy, and Ross is still not home. Back at Trenwith, Elizabeth wakes alone, because Ross is already out of the bed and dressed. I must go before the household wakes. What shall we... I must think. When will you... Soon. He scrambles out of the door, like... <laughs> before he can even get his coat on he just grabs it and runs and i wouldn't hold your breath lizzie so he rides back to nampara where we end as we started demelza hanging up laundry but this time demelza is stony-faced ross arrives he sees her and approaches what can i say it was something i cannot explain his face changes as he watches her because he knows that she knows what happened. You must see I have no choice. Oh, shut the fuck up, Ross. She <laughs> looks pissed. I mean pissed. Nor I. And girlfriend knocks his ass down into the barnyard dirt. He looks shocked and surprised as she storms off. And I'm like, really, Ross? You should know better. You do not fuck with the Melza. Mm-hmm. Preach. And we end our episode on that note. I mean, What's an episode? Jesus, this was, this was, uh, this one was brutal. This was a brutal episode. I know that that I wound up having a, a much more visceral reaction to it than I thought I was going to. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to, A, how much we love this story, these characters, B, the tremendous acting of uh, Aiden, Eleanor, and Haida uh, in this episode. Um, and, uh, the, I've got to say the adaptation that was done by, by Debbie Horsfield. Yes, Debbie, you're the real star of this episode. Cause I thought <laughs> like, I was really worried. Um, there was an article released by the daily mail, like the day before that you sent me. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to believe it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, that article, it makes me want to fly over and like slap the shit out of the Daily Mail people <laughs> because they they stirred up a whole lot of, of uh, heartburn within the fandom for no reason other than to sell papers and clicks and all that stuff. I mean, it's and it's like people were on. upset about this scene before it even aired. It was such a controversial um, subject. Like I remember when they were promoting uh, season two and uh, they were giving lots of interviews and uh, journalists they um, ask they ask the questions as if they had already seen the scene and it reminds me of um of uh, an interview Aiden gave and he was like well did you see the scene and did you read the book so it's kind of hard to talk about it if you haven't done it either i've seen so many people give opinions to things that they can't possibly do because they haven't read it like, yes they're talking about how it's adapted and it's like well you need the source material to know how it was adapted and you have just yes. said you haven't read it right so so how can yeah how can you know if you don't know what the this oh god yeah my heart my heart my 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 blood pressure is starting to go up again uh, <laughs> it's okay because oh, we're here to set them straight we're gonna tell them <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're here for. Exactly. So I know we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, yes. What are some of the, the things that uh, that uh, we want to get started on today? 
So let's start with something light. So let's talk yes. about Dwight. <laughs> this is not that Sorry. light. So Dwight uh, is considering joining the Navy in the midst of a war with France. And it is actually so stupid. But it's actually interesting that the reason for the struggle with Caroline was because of his practice and how much he loved living in Cornwall. And now that she's gone, he can't actually bear the thought of staying there because of the memories that he has of Caroline. So do we think that Caroline is right in assuming that he loves his practice more? And uh, what do we think of uh, Caroline asking Dwight not to write her ever again? Is that cruel or is that um, understandable? Well, uh, as far as as her request for him not to write her anymore, uh, you know, that, that may seem cruel, but honestly, you know, we have no idea what, she is experiencing as part of you know this this breakup uh, because we're only seeing it from Dwight's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caroline, you know, could be you know just as heartbroken, and I'm willing to bet she is just as heartbroken she, at, she about the situation as as Dwight is. Um, and I think she's doing that just to protect herself because if you are that mm-hmm. deeply in love with somebody. Um, and you keep getting letters from them, you know, like every day, every week, you know, at some point, you know, if you are not seeing a way forward for the two of you to be together, what is, what is more painful telling them never to write again or continuing to get the bandaid ripped off that, that wound over and over and over again. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a defense mechanism for her, quite frankly. Yeah. And as far as uh, whether she is right in assuming that he loves his practice more, I don't think so. That conflict continues like well into the books, and I think it's something that they they, they both have to compromise on. Uh, yes. And it takes a lot of work, and eventually they figure it out. It just takes them a while. I think she has a, it's reasonable for her to want to be the most important thing in his life mm-hmm. but then it's also kind of like uh, I understand that he puts his practice above his own personal happiness because he's a freaking martyr bless him <laughs> <laughs> well you know when when you think about folks uh, in uh, the role uh, you know as uh, doctors or teachers or or that kind of thing you know there's there's a a part of the brain when you're in a, a kind of a service industry um, that in some cases being a doctor is not a job um, it's not a career it's a vocation calling yeah and yeah. so you know first of all caroline has grown up uh, as an heiress none of the men around her do dick for <laughs> so she's not used to being around somebody who actually has has to work um you know just to put money on the table but she has never experienced someone who feels as though what he does for a living is something that he has been called to do and that's that's a mind shift that that you have to make, uh, you know, when it comes to loving someone who has that mindset about their work being their vocation. Well, and I just think that Caroline has a big heart. We know it, and I think um, she would probably think think it cruel on her part to um, ask uh, Dwight to um, not really being uh, completely focused on his um, patient. Because uh, she's the kind of woman who needs uh, all the attention from her husband. So I think she's doing it uh, also to maybe protect him in a way. I definitely see that. I think she she saw the conflict that it gave him. And she was just... She didn't want to upset him. Like she When she was thinking of taking him away to Bath, she knew that that would upset him. Yeah. That he was going to miss his patience. And they're so cute and they love each other so much. I'm just like... <laughs> Just get together already. We need Caroline. We really need it. I found George's you. proposal adorable because, like, he basically like tailored it specifically towards everything Elizabeth values in life. I was like, 
he's just like listing furnishings and like carriages and like you're I'm going to make sure Jeffrey Charles has the best opportunities in life and we all be genteel together and like <laughs> I was just like it's kind of gross for like anybody else to just like listing all of the property and all of the things that they owned but he knows Elizabeth enough to, <laughs> to sort of go this is everything I own and can offer you <laughs> please marry me oh my god and it makes her sound almost like a trained seal it worked and while he was listing it I was uh, like what would you have said no seriously it's like he has a phantom come on <laughs> You could have one too. I mean, you could have any dress that you wanted. Like, there is jewels, and he does love her in his own really messed up. I'm going to fake his completely dysfunctional way. Kind of a fun contrast to like the other proposal she had with Francis, where he was like, "I can offer you my heart and literally nothing else." Well, we don't know if that was the actual proposal that that Francis gave Elizabeth um, when he asked for her hand in marriage, because they were having an engagement party when yeah. Ross returned from she America. She proposed to twice. So, you know, so what we see from Francis during that scene in, in um, episode one was Francis going to her to give her the most elegant out of that engagement, that promise, that she could have been offered. But he so, ended up crying about how much he loved her instead. And like, when a guy starts crying at you about how much they love you, you say yes. Let's not go down that road. And also like- she made her mistake, damn I, it. I also, what I liked about what George said was also that he was like, I know you don't love me, but yes. I hope that one day it will grow to be love. And I thought, that's kind of nice. You know, if it wasn't coming from George, I think was... you, you would like it, that proposal. I was like, I'd say yes, George. But then I'm that very, was... very vain. <laughs> <laughs> that was sweet, but I can't forget all of the stuff that he has tried to do to Ross. Can't do it. I mean, like... Especially, especially if Elizabeth claims to love Ross as much as she does. Well, she doesn't. Like, come on. But... <laughs> Like, she values herself more than she values Ross. I thought, like, if you just consider who George is and what he's done for her, it's kind of amazing. Like, he's looked after her son, now her mother. He's, like, wiped free most of her debt. He's, like, offering to give her, like, this completely new house and, like, raising her status up from the ashes of, like, poverty. Like it's a really hard to resist. <sighs> well, and let's be let's be clear. When we say that 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 Elizabeth was in poverty, yeah. I want to put some air quotes next to that I mean, because like there's a difference between the poverty that the folks down in Mellon are experiencing versus the poverty that Elizabeth Poldark is experiencing up at Trenwith. She had to like not buy a dress <laughs> for a ball once, and it was heartbreaking. Exactly. For her, she considers it poverty. She's like, oh, my poor son. He won't be going to Eton. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. Okay. Let's 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 get past the proposal because I'm I'm starting to get nauseous. Okay. Um, When Ross was holding Jeremy, I was like. Did Aiden have a love child? Because that oh kid looked my God. so much like him. Yeah, he looked so much like him. <laughs> yeah, and he's adorable. And I don't know how um how old he will be by the end of the story, but um <laughs> I I know that you guys said that um Ross's behavior will impact his um his persona. So I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, grown up Jeremy. I love grown up Jeremy, yeah. even if he does silly things. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a polar. What do you expect? <laughs> of yeah, course. Of course. <laughs> that we both responded with, he's a polar. <laughs> oh, literally the answer to everything. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, speaking of um, Paul Darks, we have Ross being like, I meant to tell you I sold the shares to Demelza, and 
Can we just say that he is just a mother effing liar? Because if she hadn't ran into Treneglos, she wouldn't have known and he would have told her. So, and it actually reminds me of a line in the book. And I told you guys, it's one of my favorite lines. It's when, yeah. <laughs> because she made it easy for him to lie to her, he could less than ever do so. So it's her fault. <laughs> oh my god. Just like, what I loved about that scene was that Demelza is just so calm and calculated. Like, she's obviously been planning this for a while. She's just sitting there, like, sewing, calmly looks up and goes, Oh, yeah, by the way, I know you lied to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of people have been commenting about how, you know, Demelza's be, you know, becoming so passive aggressive. And, you know, if she just you know, had a conversation with Ross, you know, straight up about, you know, what's going on, uh, you know, blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Well, you know, she's done that. She has done that. And it has wound up with Ross being duplicitous and secret keeping. And, you know, after you have experienced that, where you have no longer have that sharing of information, um, you know, going both ways, you know, you start to build up some walls and you start to get a little snarky uh, about things. So, you know, I don't, I don't blame her for, like, hanging on to that and then finding the perfect moment to drop it on his head like it was a 10,000-pound weight just to see what he would do. In a moment <laughs> where she confronts him and tells him, hey, don't do that thing, what about <laughs> that happens at the end of the episode? See how that goes. He just goes, "I'm gonna do it anyway." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as somebody who is incredibly petty and passive aggressive, I love everything that she does. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I would do the same thing. <laughs> oh, I mean that was that was genius, and I love the the look on his face. I know there's a gift set out there that that has. Uh, it's either a gift set or just stills of those moments, and the the look on Aiden's face is priceless. <laughs> I made that gift set. Everybody, go and find it. It was Eureka. Yeah, it, it was sleep with one eye open. He looks worried. He is like she's just, just like oh, she doesn't yeah. believe me. She's out for blood. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was that was that was glorious. That was glorious. So you know, yeah. she she said. Yes, Ross, too many times. Yes, Ross. Yes, Ross. Yes, Ross. I will catch you. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, sleep with one eye open, son. <laughs> I mean, that was but... just one of the moments where I was, like, <laughs> super impressed by Eleanor's performance. And, like, in general, I thought the women really brought it this episode. Oh, Eleanor yeah. and Haydar were just so good they like carried the episode for me and they either simultaneously made me like laugh or smile or broke my heart i mean even elizabeth who i don't particularly like i was feeling kind of sorry for her at some points yeah no i hear you i hear you um i i thought that uh the women's performance this week was absolutely outstanding um and worthy of all of the awards being flung at their faces because they they really did a fantastic job. I don't remember Elizabeth's mother's having a stroke in Willigan. Is that a thing? Or have I forgot another major important plot point? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, well, yeah, you, you have forgotten a, a plot point, but uh, she has a stroke, uh, but it doesn't take place at Trenwith, uh, but it takes place at the... Chen, uh, oh god, how do you say her name? Her last name? Don't even Chenoweth. Chenoweth. Chenoweth, I think. Yeah, uh, at the Chenoweth uh, family home of Kuskarn. And up with the uh, family and its names. I know, right? <laughs> um, and by the way, uh, Elizabeth's father is actually still alive in the book. We haven't seen him anywhere yeah, on the show. Yeah, uh, but um, uh, Elizabeth receives. News of her mother's illness after you know, having been mired in paperwork and decision-making about Trenwith. Um, so she is already under stress. 
Uh, she arrives to see her mother, um, and her mother is paralyzed basically along one side of her, her body. Uh, and the realization of having to care for her and her father, um, as well as Aunt Agatha, truly overwhelms her. Um, and it's at that point that George enters the picture, you know, having come straight from the bank upon hearing the news, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, um, that is how he sounds. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, of all the things that George winds up manipulating in order to get, uh, Elizabeth to, uh, consider him as a suitor. Um, you know, I think he was probably thanking the heavens for, uh, the stroke that her mother has because it's kind of like the thing that tips her over the edge so yeah. speaking of Elizabeth oh god we have to talk about her a lot her entire <laughs> attitude towards Francis's death I don't know I, it, I feel like she doesn't really miss him that much no. mm. um, combined mm. with the fact that she's like wearing that blue dress whilst out mm. on a ride with a suitor way before her Morning period is over. I just find mm-hmm. it trashy. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I mean, blue dress. Yeah, I mean, if we think about it, um, you know, Francis died. It was after the harvest, so he dies somewhere like before Christmas, because we know that that Elizabeth spends Christmas alone at Trenwith. Um, the incident takes place in May, so she's not even six months out of her mourning period and she's riding around in George's uh, carriage wearing a bright blue dress. I know her mother like rushed her out of the widow's weeds. What? Like two weeks after Francis died. Mm -hmm. Damn woman. But also there there was that scene with um, Verity where she was like, Oh, this must be so hard for you being at Trenwith with Francis gone and Verity points out, Well, he was your husband, is it not hard for you? <laughs> yeah, Verity. I know. Oh snap I know. Verity. Remember your husband? Yeah, him, right. Do you think Demel's bitching at Elizabeth earlier might make Elizabeth less inclined to consider Demel's feelings about the cheating while it's going on? Or do you think it's relevant? Uh, I, I think it's irrelevant. Um, I think it's irrelevant because you know, but you never know. Maybe, but is a wet tissue paper flimsy a justification? Is there ever was one? Um, you know, especially when one considers that one of the reasons she shouldn't embark on this cheating expedition is sitting across the carriage from her. You know, the son that Demelza saved for your ass and wound up losing her own child in the process. Uh, Sorry, not sorry. That's how I feel. I think it's irrelevant because um, Elizabeth is uh, selfish and I don't think she thinks about anyone else besides herself and her son. So, yeah, I don't think she even had Demelza on her mind when she... uh, she did that thing. Yeah. But what about afterwards? Afterwards, I think she... That was even worse because she was like, Will you? How will you? Shall we? No. <laughs> <laughs> when will you leave her wife for me? When will you come back? When shall we go? And uh, I thought it was like... Hysterical. You would think at some point, like if Russ can think about his wife in the morning, why can't Elizabeth? Use your brain, Elizabeth, not your vagina. And you know what? Actually, at first, I was really upset that they um, added a uh, morning after scene. But uh, in fact, I'm actually thrilled because we really saw Ross's face. <laughs> Ross's how he was face. like, what have I done? That was such an obvious morning after regret face. Well, you know, when we think about the fact that, you know, she probably threw Francis out of their bedroom. Um, you know, as soon as Jeffrey Charles was born. And if I had to guess, uh, he wasn't admitted back in there on a regular basis. Um, (laughs) You know, she probably hasn't had that much experience with men. That was like kind of like, it's always struck me as kind of crazy that she was like, oh, I have one kid that will do. Everybody knows the saying, an heir 
And a spare. And a spare. You need mm-hmm. a spare, bitch. Yeah, so let's talk about the way this show has shaded <laughs> Rose's character with light. Um, I'm sorry, George's character with light in the past few episodes. And when we compare it to Ross, he doesn't seem like the bad guy 100% of the time. Well, but, you know, so, you know, sure, George is, is kind of looking like a, a shining knight. But when you think about all of the ways that he's manipulated everything behind the scenes to suit his purposes and get him what he wants, uh, which is uh, Elizabeth and Money. doing whatever he possibly can to crush Ross. Um, you know, during the, the little sparring practice, uh, he, you know, he says to Carrie, I've secured the hand of the woman I love and in so doing deal the deadliest blow to my bitterest enemy. And how has he done that? By lying to the woman he claims to love, you know, manipulating all of these reports of unrest, hiring men to go onto the property and pose as tenors. Uh, all of these things he's done in order to maneuver Elizabeth into a corner that she doesn't think she has any way out of except to accept his proposal. Yeah, nice move, asshole. I'd say he's uh, slate gray. Uh, with the added amount of light that has been shone upon his character the last couple of episodes. Sometimes George is like straight up evil, like in the first episode. And then sometimes mm-hmm. I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what, George, you're right about that. Like sometimes <laughs> the bad guy is right. Uh-huh. And, and the the supposedly good guy is a huge douche hole. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That. Exactly. You know, I'm not arguing about, you know, George being incorrect about uh, Ross's hubris. Um, you know, he calls it. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's... He's there's completely blind books. to his own people, people in glass houses really should not throw stones, George. Uh, because, uh, you know, if we want to shine that uh, magnifying glass in your direction, there are plenty of things we can uh, talk about. Um, in that scene at the end of the episode where he comes barging into Elizabeth's sitting room and is like look what, just, what Russ has done now, his mind has collapsed look at all the <laughs> he was so proud done. of himself <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, dude you didn't even wait five minutes before you <laughs> told <laughs> Elizabeth he was, probably, he was probably cackling the entire way there uh, going, oh, I'm gonna, I've got another thing to like throw down on Ross's head. Woohoo! This is gonna be great. You know, despite the fact that three, you know, two people have just died, several people are injured. You know, blah 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 blah. I'm going to take advantage of this horrible thing and and use it to my advantage. I think I just like enjoy people being mean to Ross. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is definitely the week for it. That's for damn sure. That's oh, for yes. damn sure. This is my episode. This is my time. So, <sighs> Elizabeth seems really concerned about securing her son's future and financial security. And she pretends to make all these sacrifices with him in mind. Um, but they seem to be also that she's secure and her future secure, not her son's. How much do you think that she's even thinking about Jeffrey Charles when she makes these decisions? Not much. Honestly, I would never question a mother's love for her child, but to me, um, she does love her child. But to me, Jeffrey Charles he seemed much closer, closer to Jer- to Jeremy, to Verity in season one. I don't know if you guys remember certain scenes, but I remember certain scenes. And there was the one particular scene during which um, um, Jeffrey Charles was um, with his mother and his, uh, yeah, his mother and uh, his dad, Francis. And I think he um, he looked. Um, I think he was searching for Verity because he was like, "Where's my auntie? Who I think is my mommy?" So, yeah. She well, doesn't... well, when you th- well, uh, you know, when you think about what Verity's role was in the household at that yeah. time before yeah. she elopes, you know, the expectation was that you know she was essentially Trenwith's housekeeper. Mm-hmm. You know, Elizabeth was mistress of Trenwith. But Verity's role, she was the housekeeper. She was the one that managed all of the staff. She was the one that tended the family when they were sick. 
So she really had a pretty subservient role in that household. And it would not surprise me in the least if the child rearing aspect of baby Jeffrey Charles wound up landing in Verity's lap, um, you know, with the exception of being able to feed him, Verity would be the person that would, would, would be tending him. If you count the amount of scenes on one hand, I felt like Jeffrey Charles spent more time with Francis this season. This season, yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. However, and God knows I am not an Elizabeth apologist. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the things that she has said from the very beginning is how much she loves her son. You know, when she visits Demelza after Demelza had Julia and they're talking about, you know, their children and, and they how their husbands would never understand um, a mother's love and how that basically supersedes all other loves. Um you know, I so I I don't doubt that Elizabeth loves her son. Um, my guess is that by securing uh, the engagement of George, uh, yes, she will wind up having you know all of the things that she feels she deserves to have, being who she is. But she also knows that now her son will have a secure future. Um, I, what I feel about that is that, like, I understand that, and it's definitely, like, one of the things I most picked up from her character in the books was how much she loved Jeffrey Charles. But I I think in, in the TV show, it's a case of, of saying instead of showing. Mm-hmm, like, I yeah. don't think you can make a case that mm-hmm. in the TV show, because they haven't shown it. They just tell mm-hmm. us that she loves her son. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, it's sort of like with um, Ross and Julia. He talks about how much he loves Julia a lot in season one, but he holds her twice. Well, yeah, yeah. Although I did hear that there was, uh, there were several scenes, um, I know of at least one that has uh, Ross uh, holding Julia and playing with her and interacting with her uh, that wound up being cut from the uh, series. How dare um, you? I wish you know, that would have been phenomenal. That would have been fantastic. I would have melted all over the floor because <laughs> the three seconds that we got of of uh, Ross and Jeremy uh, this week uh, basically uh, almost made me pass out from lack of air going so through excited. my brain. I so much. <laughs> I got so excited. Got he was you. holding him, and then like as soon as he handed him over to John, I was like. Oh yeah, Ross is crap. Exactly. It's like, oh Ross, you're wonderful. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I shouldn't have got my hopes up. That was the problem. So, do you guys have favorite scenes? Yeah. Well, hate me, George's proposal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I loved it. To me, it was a great scene. And Jack Harding, we all know he's a great actor. And yes. um, I almost felt sympathetic towards George because we know that he's been manipulating Elizabeth um, since day one. And he also manipulated her <laughs> during his proposal when he said, I know you would never marry for money. If you did, you wouldn't be the person I thought you were. And <laughs> if, you, if you look close, you will notice the camera on Elizabeth's face when he yes. says that. Yes. Oh, he worked it. He worked that proposal. <laughs> you know, he he um he worked that thing. He looked I, like there, are sincere, yeah, there are sincere feelings there, but dear lord. <laughs> yeah, he still sees her as a trophy. And uh, well, when he was um um doing his fighting classes, whatever, he, and his uncle, uh, he told his uncle Carrie, uh, "Yes, I have already won. It's not given to many to achieve so much I in a like, single Love. stroke." <laughs> Yeah. Just he was like, like, okay then. She's just a trophy. Yeah. I was like, great. He's won. Oh my God. You pig. They're, they're pigs. All of them are pigs. Because, <laughs> like, I don't think that George is alone in perceiving Elizabeth as a trophy. Like, he's. Both Ross and George were, like, shoving her around like she was a possession. Like, she's yeah, mine. Yeah, like, she's mine. She's mine. No, she's mine. <laughs> I think for me it was uh, the the scenes with Dwight and Demelza. Um, you know, it, it's the the friendship that we saw 
developing between the two characters during the first season uh, was great. And I've loved the way that that has grown to being, you know, this really caring, um, loving relationship. Um, and I love the little platonic flirtiness that was going on mm. with them. I thought that was just adorable. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, these two characters uh, look to rely upon one another's friendships, you know, over the course of the next couple episodes as, you know, Demelza is trying to, to heal her broken heart, as is Dwight. Uh, but uh, really great uh, chemistry with uh, Luke and Eleanor uh, these past uh, few weeks. Yeah. Um, my favorite scene was Ross getting hit in the face. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, not just for the obvious reason of I enjoy watching Ross being in pain, but also because <laughs> I really loved Aiden's acting in that scene. Like, yes. He came... He just the way he was looking at her was like I I have fucked up. He was like, the walk of shame. He looked like completely horrified, but the stuff that was coming out of his mouth was like terrible. <laughs> like I couldn't help it. Oh my and god! I was like this is so real. Men are stupid. <laughs> and, you know, you're thinking about it. It's like okay, the the trend width is about three miles away from um um Nampara, I think. Might be closer to that, maybe a mile and a half. Um, so he had all that way to ride home. <laughs> think it's something to think better to say. What he was going to say to his wife, who he's just cheated on, who he's just confirmed every suspicion she's ever had about <laughs> him, and that's what he comes up with. He- you must see, I had no choice. And like Demelza's face is just like how how is this happening you are so stupid what are you even saying <laughs> and i love the colors they used too it really um was such a cold atmosphere and i thought the directing was uh, so on point the fact the fact that it started with her putting up washing yes. on the line and ended with the washing on the line mm-hmm. I think. yes i mean i when i i think i think i was uh sending you a message uh, when the show first started and um, like, that first scene came up and I was like, I don't think we're going to get the slap. I think that that image was from the very first you know, scene of the show. And I was, I was like, like oh, oh, oh. no, that can't be true. <laughs> I knew we would get it. <laughs> I figured like, um, because the I wanted to say, no, the lighting's different, but I got too much into the episode. But like, um, the lighting starts off really bright in that scene, that first scene yeah. where she's hanging up the washing line, which yeah. is also a really good scene because she's like, Ross, will you never learn? <laughs> <laughs> and Ross is like, probably not. Probably not, with a rakish grin on his face. Like, hey. And you're like, you that's know, not cute, she, Ross. She, she, she didn't slap him at that moment, but he sure deserved it for that one, too. You're like, mid 30s now. It's not cute anymore. <laughs> you come back and you're like, oh, I can't help cheating on you. You deserve to be punished. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or worse. And that's it for part one. We will be back later in the week with part two, where we will be discussing things like that controversial scene, Dumb Melza, and we will try to answer all of your questions. So remember to check back with us for part two. We should definitely not have sex right now. We should definitely not have sex right now. It would complicate the situation. It's the adult thing to not have sex right now. We have the common sense not to have sex right now. I need time to reflect. And I'm in a really weird place. It feels so good to be having sex right now. So good to be having sex right now. What makes it so good is we just said we shouldn't be having sex right now. But now we can't stop having sex right now. I mean, it would be weirder to stop having sex. Such a good point, we might as well just finish. Mm-hmm.
should definitely not have sex again. We should definitely not have sex again. What are we, bonobos in a tree? There's no reason to have sex again, but I'll be ready to go again in ten. Okay, what if we say this is the last sex night? It's like in movies when robbers do one last heist. This tonight will be our last sex heist. But then again, those movies always get a sequel.